Happy Halloween, everybody. You are listening to Grillith Fair. And I am your host, Kira May. Tara Kenegara could not be here today because she is playing in Montreal this weekend. So it's just me to introduce our very special Halloween episode about witchcraft. We have a beautiful, beautiful interview um, coming up with Liz Leia, who is an artist, writer, witch, activist, intuitive healer, and spiritual director in training. Her writing explores themes of mythology, mysticism, and the body. She uses archetypal wisdom and her own experiences of trauma, disability, and chronic illness as catalysts for spiritual awakening and individual and collective healing. Her work examines the intersections of social justice, spirituality, shamanism, ecofeminism, and sacred sexuality. Her mission on this planet is to help reclaim and reawaken the spirit of the divine feminine, raise the earth's vibration, and facilitate accessible, trauma-informed, and anti-oppressive healing for others. Before we dive right into that uh, interview with Liz, last month Tara and I sort of randomly uh, pulled a tarot card for Libra season. And we are now in Scorpio season. And I thought, since I'm on my own, it would be a fun thing to do to pull a card for Scorpio season and maybe see what directions we are being given for the month ahead in time for Halloween and Samhain. I have pulled the Two of Cups as our card for Scorpio season. Uh, Scorpio is a water sign. This card is a cups card, which is also aligned with the element of water. And as we think about this card, think about the things that Scorpio represents. Scorpio season falls um, right into that time of year where the harvest has been collected and has been stored away and now we're preparing for the dark long winter which is a season of death not only does nature sort of go dormant and die for the time being around us but i think a lot of human death is associated with winter as well because it's a really brutal season to survive through um scorpio is the ruler of the eighth house and the eighth house traditionally um is all about hidden mysteries the occult, erotic sexuality, inheritance, other people's resources, and maybe most importantly, transformation and death. Um, a lot of people might say Scorpio is the scariest sign on the zodiac wheel, but I love pretty much every Scorpio I've ever met, and I find it to be a remarkably interesting sign because it invites us to really go deep into our shadow selves and invites a time in our life where we maybe go through a really necessary and intense transition. And anytime we see death, or I should say, actually, in the Tarot, Scorpio 
is represented by the major arcana card, death, which is key 13. Because death in the tarot or in a lot of metaphysical practice is simply a gateway, simply a transition into another type of life. Um, and I think that's what the sign of Scorpio speaks to. That's what this time of year speaks to. We're about to enter into a really dark and cold and barren season, which is a type of death. But um, I think we are invited to think about how we might transform in this time of year. And so the card that I pulled is the Two of Cups, which is actually a super, <laughs> a super peaceful card. It depicts um, a woman and a man. They're raising their cups to one another. They're touching hands. And above them is a lion, uh, a winged lion who holds a caduceus. And the caduceus is made of two spiraling serpents, which foreshadowing to our interview coming up um, is an image associated with kundalini energy, which Liz is going to tell you all about. And the caduceus itself is a symbol of healing wisdom and healing and when this card comes up oftentimes it is referring to the beginning of a new relationship whether that's romantic or friendship it can speak to the beginning of a relationship or some kind of partnership coming up into your life that might be a work alliance that might be a romantic partnership or a beautiful friendship um but on a more uh general level the medicine of this card uh, it speaks of harmony and balance balancing the energies of yin and yang it speaks about cooperation compatibility uh, soulmates um, people who have their karma intertwined um, but generally just any healing relationship um, and it's a card of unity combining opposite forces to create balance and something that Liz talks a lot about in the interview coming up is divine femininity and divine masculinity and how those come together to create a really beautiful transcendent balance so I guess as we go into this Scorpio season a time of transformation maybe there are parts of us that we might invite to die and maybe through that process, whether or not this card refers to an actual other person, it might just be elements within ourselves. How can we unite our masculine and feminine energy? How can we unite the opposing forces within ourselves to create balance? So I don't know, just something to think about during wonderful, beautiful, amazing Scorpio season. I really like Scorpio season so shout out to all of the Scorpios listening and the Scorpio moons listening to this podcast today here is our interview with Liz Leia all about witchcraft for our listeners who don't really know what witchcraft is um how would you introduce the topic that we, just broadly, that we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, um, I think that witchcraft is, um, it's like a very personal thing. To me, it's a relationship to the natural world as a spiritual teacher. So it's kind of 
recognizing the presence of the divine and attuning ourselves to the cycles of nature and the natural world around us. Um, it's also about connecting to the wisdom of our ancestors. And when I talk about cycle or cycles, that means things like the cycles of nature, the cycles of the moon, the cycles of life and death and rebirth and renewal. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are different ways to approach witchcraft, for example, through uh, more religious forms such as Wicca or paganism. And to me, I really I really try to deconstruct and make witchcraft more accessible to people. So I often like to use the term like a form of practical magic. So rather than witchcraft having to seem intimidating, witchcraft could be anything that you do. It's just an awareness that there is something that exists beyond the... Um, the I would say normal reality that we live in, that there are ways of accessing higher levels of our conscious and our subconscious and um, ways of accessing different realms. And the way that we get there is really individual. So yeah, I think witchcraft is anything that sort of brings us into harmony with the natural world. Um, And it's using the natural world as an embodiment of the divine and as a spiritual teacher. Mm. that's really cool also uh about a year ago i listened to this podcast called a witch's primer although the host would say a witch's primer (laughs) and it was this male witch which i want to say right off the bat male witches exist Mm -hmm. and are awesome and witchcraft is not a strictly feminine bodied practice um and this person's name his witch name was ariel Mm. And he has this thing, this podcast called A Witch's Primer. And it was basically like Witchcraft 101. What is it? What are some um, grounding techniques you can use and like mm-hmm. s- and spells that you can do? And it was amazing to me how much it was just like, oh, it's working with thought forms. And oh, it's just broadening your consciousness. And it's doing, it's like spiritual work in a lot of ways, at least the way that he taught it. Mm-hmm. And um just very similar yeah to like psychic training like intuitive training which is very fascinating to me and i also want to say on that note especially because i know we'll be probably talking quite a bit about the divine feminine today and obviously um within spiritual practices or practices of witchcraft we talk about like embodying the divine masculine or the divine feminine Mm -hmm. and to me at least and i think to a lot of folks um like gender is a social construct and so witchcraft isn't something that's just practiced by men or women it's practiced by any and every gender Mm -hmm. and to me an important part of witchcraft is really deconstructing like in deconstructing what we see as reality you're also deconstructing these social norms that have been implied upon us and one of those constructs is the construct of gender so the idea that we are embodying a more feminine side um doesn't mean that we're embodying a female aspect Mm -hmm. of ourselves and that it has to mean feminine in the sense of the way that you know because the the feminine has been suppressed throughout history so much and so i think if anything it's incredibly healing and important for men and people born as men to be able to reclaim that aspect of the feminine because it's something that's been suppressed in all of us and it's um you know, like ultimately the goal is always to bring our divine masculine and our divine feminine into balance. And the reason that we focus, or at least my work focuses so much on the feminine right now is because it's the part of ourselves that's been the most suppressed. And so it's kind of like, you know, feminism is still relevant today because there isn't like, 
equality doesn't mean women have the same rights as men. It means the feminine qualities and the qualities that women espouse are valued equally as men. It doesn't mean that they have to be um, the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, there's, it happens a lot in music where (laughs) we're, I think we talked about it on the last podcast with Minja, playing certain roles Mm -hmm. and fulfilling certain roles, usually Mm -hmm. for the comfort of the people around you versus what you're experiencing authentically. Yeah. Right? So the example that Minja, wonderful Minja used was performing femininity Mm -hmm. around all of her, um, male peers and noticing voice changes and ha ha he he which I know I've personally done in the past Mm -hmm. um instead of being in touch with maybe another side that's there but you decide to suppress and for her it was the masculine she wanted to suppress the masculine because it would perhaps I mean this is what I'm interpreting she didn't actually Mm -hmm. say this but uh and maybe this is what I experienced as well is maybe suppressing a masculine side because it could have been seen as threatening so bringing up something that has been seen for years and years and years an image and a representation of femininity Mm -hmm. so um I love that we're talking about this Mm -hmm. yeah that experience specifically I actually worked in the music industry for like over 11 years I worked Ah. as a stage manager and promoter and um like I in my role you know and I'm I'm very like even now I don't look my age I you know people would walk in and be like where's the stage manager expecting me to be like oh I'm doing coat check or something yeah and so it was interesting that I think when I you know I started doing that work when I was 19 Mm -hmm. and I had to assume a more masculine like assertive part of myself in order to like be seen and taken seriously um with kind of like you know the the like big boys or whatever it was called but what was interesting looking back when you said that it made me reflect that what actually made me good at my role was the more feminine qualities of like my attention to making sure people's needs were met Mm. and that nurturing part of myself that would um be highly attuned to um you know like knowing what an artist needs might be when they're coming into a space that a lot of the feedback that I would get I think it was actually that feminine side of myself that was allowed to come through that in fact, was sort of my greatest asset in that role. So I think it's, yeah, it's just so, it's very interesting and it's very, like part of my journey, I think, was being in that sort of environment where I was trying to conform or maybe suppressing that part of myself and then realizing that that was like, you know, now I'm older and I'm like, that was very, you know, I think it was a necessary learning process, but um, I think in any industry, the same thing happens. Totally. (laughs) I've definitely been in situations where I've been performing either gender yeah. So performing masculinity in a traditional sense where I'm a leader, I have all this hubris, I can take control of the situation and then traditional feminine qualities. Um, again, I, I say traditional quite purposefully, being more attentive and empathetic. Um, and it took me a long time to realize that it's all they're all pieces of a pie also referencing another pod we did (laughs) christine duncan it's all pieces of one pie Mm -hmm. um i wanted to get to misconceptions Mm -hmm. because there's an air of mystery around witchcraft uh i don't know a lot about it i've Mm -hmm. done some research but recent research doesn't um really clue me into how deep and complex this world is so Mm -hmm. 
I was wondering if you could tell our listeners some common misconceptions of um, witchcraft and the practice. Sure. Um, I think probably the most common misconception is this archetype of the witch as like this old hag or this old woman that, you know, she's like ugly and she's got warts on her face and, you know, just all these like, and that's something that's been perpetuated through mass media. And I think also a huge common misconception that I really try to break down in my work is this idea that like all witches are white, that it's, Mm -hmm. it's something that, um, is only accessible to white women. And in fact, I think that it's actually quite the opposite that part of a practice of witchcraft to me is a reclamation of, um, you know, the voices of marginalized folks and women of color and indigenous peoples and that it's a lot of this wisdom that um, the suppression of women is so closely linked to the suppression of indigenous people and like specifically because it's that sort of ancient wisdom and connection to the land that has um, tried to be taken away from them and tried to be suppressed and it's been devalued and it's been... um, it's just been seen as not important. And so I think that that's part of why these practices aren't taken very seriously because we tend to take something that exists in nature and see it as not as worthy or valuable as these constructs that humans create. Mm -hmm. So we tend to prioritize like patriarchy and capitalism and all of these things over a more feminine intuitive approach of our connection to the land and to nature and to slowing down and um, to me, connecting to nature, it's just, it's, it's connecting to our own true nature. There's no separation for me. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's definitely, um, you know, like uh, even just the practice, and I'm sure we'll get to this later of just how to decolonize our own practice of witchcraft and to be, you know, aware of the materials that we use and the land that we're on and where traditions are coming from. And I think that the more that you start to deconstruct those misconceptions you start to you know be able to go back deeper and deeper into your own cultural history and see what is available for you to use as well you said so much good stuff there (laughs) it's like which thread to follow (laughs) the one that i'm choosing is um historically a lot of cultures uh observed a form of goddess worship Mm -hmm. and then over time i think what we saw was a rise of patriarchal religions yes, <laughs> and a demise of uh, <laughs> goddess worship. And to me, uh, some, uh, I mean, okay, some of the uh, ideologies in those patriarchal religions mm-hmm. have been warped and transformed mm-hmm. into what we now call the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of similar... <laughs> similar um like valuing uh masculine traits but but not the necessarily the divine like imbalanced masculine traits things that are more aggressive Mm -hmm. i'm wondering it seems like in um our current time and in pop culture to some extent there's been a resurgence of witchcraft there's Mm -hmm. been an interest in witchcraft And do you think that coincides with a rise within female empowerment or like the Me Too movement um, that we're seeing a lot of women sort of embrace 
witchcraft or like the idea of a strong female ness mm-hmm. uh absolutely <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's um that's a great question i was like wow it took me a while to get there but no, yeah. that's great oh. <laughs> that's that's a big actually a big theme that i've focused on just even in my own studying and researching and writing that i've done and so my back my background is i have a degree in media studies so these are the sorts of questions that i will ask myself and i think also just the resurgence of um, like women reclaiming their power and also reclaiming our voices. And I think that we're reaching a point, especially now in history, where um, like to me, and I say this often, I truly believe that the feminine and the divine feminine is the antidote. And it's the antidote to the illness of patriarchy, the illness of capitalism, the illness of um, all these, you know, the church, all these structures that we're seeing breaking down, you know, and there's a lot happening at this time in history. If you even look at things that have happened in the past couple of years, the Me Too movement, uh, the Church of Notre Dame literally burning down. To me, that was <laughs> like a yeah. literal direct representation Oof. of... Like it's the, time to... Yeah, it's just like the, the church is burning, the world is on fire, and, you know, I've even been told i i hope i'm saying this correctly but that you know in the mayan tradition that we all feared that in 2012 the world was going to end and what it actually was it was the end of a calendar and it was the end of a certain time period in history where patriarchy ruled and what was happening is that that structure of the world is starting to actually break down so in a way the world is ending and i think this is another thing too like in a in a practice of witchcraft or working with the elements you recognize that there are cycles within everything so there's everything is constantly in a cycle of death and rebirth and renewal and regrowth and so when you think about the world ending people don't you know like some, i'm kind of jumping all over the place but when we think about so in some new age communities people you'll often hear people talk about this ascension into 5d so the ascension from three-dimensional consciousness into fifth-dimensional consciousness. And a lot of people speak as though it's going to be like this rapture and those that are prepared and have elevated their consciousness enough will be like, it's as if we're going to leave the planet and go somewhere else. We're going to like literally go into another physical dimension. And I don't believe that that's true. I believe that we're like, I, I think that our duty is to stay here and to save the planet right now because that's what the earth is crying out for us to do and when we achieve that higher state of consciousness it means that we'll we'll be living more openly more out of our heart we'll be we'll be more aware of things and it's not like we're just gonna it's not like the patriarchy is just gonna like crumble as literally as a church burning but we can look at these symbols as as a metaphor for what's happening in our time right now and so in a way i would say that starting in 2012 the world did start to end but it was the part of the world that needs to end transitioning yeah i want to okay i have two things what about 4d (laughs) it goes from 3d to 5d yeah so (laughs) but i have a real thing to say after this is more just for me (laughs) because i'm like wait yeah maybe i'll fact check this before we include it of course (laughs) but so that's an interesting thing too that there is this idea that it's like the common um, conversations around these things are we're just going to like, we're moving, we're ascending from 3D to 5D, but 4D is actually the the dimension where there's like a lot of forces that we don't really understand and that are trying to contact us through. So it may, maybe it might be some like darker parts of our subconscious or some um, deeper entities and 
to me, I sort of see it as like 4D is kind of this this um, Maya or this illusion that we need to work through in order to achieve 5D. Mm. Oh, okay. The other thing I wanted to say is right now in our world, there is a lot of very visible dark energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trump is the best example of that. Yep. Like someone <laughs> so evil mm-hmm. and really highlighting the dark energy that exists in people mm-hmm. all over North America. And at the same time, in my opinion, I think a lot of people are also waking up to their light abilities. Mm-hmm. Like we're seeing more people like the word empath. I didn't even know what that word was like five years ago. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing more people realize like oh hey like i'm super sensitive or just more sensitive people are being born more people who carry light energy Mm -hmm. and um whenever i hear people say like oh the world is doomed and going like to shit because of all of this negative energy it strikes me that there's my like this weird i'm gonna say the word battle at this present moment in time where dark energy is super dark and visible but light energy is actually super light and s- becoming super visible mm. yep. and there's this polarity between them and uh it gives me a lot of hope and happiness mm-hmm. to think that we're just uh we're in some weird growing pains right now yeah what are your thoughts on my little theory there <laughs> i love that question because these are thoughts that i have almost every day okay <laughs> and this this is sort of like if there's like advice that I can impart on people so also to go back so when we talk about the divine feminine what we're actually talking about is is the deeper intuitive side of aspect of ourselves so it's the aspect of our intuition of our subconscious of our dreams and of the shadow Mm -hmm. and so you might think of the word feminine and think of like these like girly you know there's there's an aspect of femininity that gets packaged up and then sold to us because that's what capitalism does but it's like i said it's like it's like not like a church is going to burn and then the church is dead and patriarchy is gone and i think that when you're doing like you know whether you're a light worker or you're on a spiritual path what you're always aiming to do is to be moving from the shadow into the light from darkness into light and so in order for us to see the light there has to be darkness and i think this is where a lot of people get lost that it's really easy to look at the state of the world right now and just think we're all screwed and ev- and, and like everything's ending and we're gonna die and you forget that we have such an we just have such an attachment to that world that you aren't able to imagine what a world without those structures look like mm. because we have suppressed that aspect of our sh- our own shadow so much and i think that what's really interesting you know you could actually say that someone like donald trump is in perfect spiritual alignment because what he's doing is he's reflecting back to the world the darkness that already exists in it and when you can't see darkness you don't know that it's there so if you look at for example fascism fascism literally is able to exist because people don't see it happening you know you think about what happened in world war ii in nazi germany i come from a family of holocaust survivors so a lot of this is closely tied to my own ancestral lineage and um you know inherited trauma and kind of like the resistance that that exists within my own blood but that same thing it's like you think you look back and you might say how could people have let that happen and it's because they didn't believe that it could actually be happening Mm -hmm. and a lot of what we're seeing right now I think is actually necessary like that the way like the way out of capitalism is through it and so things sort of like 
you you look at you look at what's happening in the world right now and to me I think about it in terms of like a, a sort of spiritual illness and when you're ill and you have a fever and you suppress that fever you're you're not actually helping your body heal and so sometimes what needs to happen is we need to like complete a cycle and we're seeing the end of a cycle start to happen and that's why doing this sort of work and and reminding ourselves of the cycle of nature is so important like it's really easy to get caught up in what's happening in especially the Western, anywhere in the world today. There's so much war that's happening. You look at what's happening in America with Donald Trump. You, like we just narrowly avoided having a conservative government here in Canada. But you mm -hmm. look at the leader that we have here in Ontario and what's starting to happen. And it's still like there's a lot of darkness that does exist. But I believe that if if it wasn't coming out in such a blatant way, we wouldn't also have the same level of resistance coming out of it in order to fight it and yeah. so if you don't have that darkness and you don't have you know all these bad people in government doing bad things that sort of it's an opportunity like I think at this point in history things are happening so quickly so many traumas are coming to the surface of our own collective trauma of our individual trauma our intergenerational trauma and everything that happens in the outside world is a reflection of what's happening um, what's happening in the collective is a reflection of what's happening in each of us individually. So it's sort of a call to action. It's sort of like, are you going to see what's happening in the world right now and step up and actually focus on healing yourself and trying to do what little you can in the world to move forward and bring that light in? Or are you going to get caught up in it and just give up? And to me, the, the practice of, to me, my own spiritual practice and what my practice of witchcraft means is is that everything I do is a resistance to that. What we're seeing happen right now is, um, like I think the resurgence of witchcraft is such a beautiful and needed thing. And another thing that I see happen a lot, there's a lot of gatekeeping within these practices and these communities. And I see a lot of people's judgment come through and a lot of people, like, so for example, <laughs> there's a lot of things that like what capitalism does is it will take anything that is like divine and sacred and it will like repackage it and it'll try to sell it back to us. So mm -hmm. one example that's coming to mind, a lot of people probably remember earlier this year when Sephora started selling these witch kits. Yeah. So it was like what, like 70 or $80 and you get like a stick of sage or Palo Santo and like, you know, a couple things, like a couple of crystals and, and there was a petition and they wound up stopping to sell this but there were so many people that were just like willing to buy that and to me rather than judging people for going that route it actually shows me that there's such a desire and a craving for this sort of healing and work and I see it as a really positive thing because I think people are starting to wake up and the fact that that's trickling into the dominant culture is like like the fact that we can actually, the fact that I could like sit here today and say out loud, oh yes, I'm a practicing witch and not fear being like persecuted for that. Yeah. Like that's huge. And I think so many of us have past lives of being, you know, and when we talk about witches, like a witch is just anyone who is connected to these other realms. A witch is someone who is a healer or an, an intuitive or you know an herbalist or a doctor or a shaman and these were people that were persecuted throughout history because it was really scary to you know like the church and patriarchy and these forces that were trying so hard to control people the idea that you could actually connect to your own power and i think also that when you 
connect when you wake up and you start to realize the fact that you're being oppressed Mm -hmm. that's a wake-up moment where you start to realize that you have the power to resist that oppression and the people that benefit from keeping us from stepping into our power don't want us to realize that i'm so fascinated by this it's great that we're talking about it because i'm fascinated with the me too movement Mm -hmm. i was fascinated from the beginning to now and I am constantly watching and reading about it mm-hmm. over and over again, mm-hmm. almost obsessively. And today I was uh, watching an interview with Ronan Farrow uh, about his new book that he has. It's coming out called Catch and Kill. Mm-hmm. And it's about the Harvey Weinstein uh, blow up, which revealed all of his indiscretions, his alleged rapes. Matt Lauer, who is a host of the Today Show, and he was their key anchor. So most of NBC most of their income was generated from the Today Show and he was at the head of the Today Show so they loved him and they purposefully withheld information from the public that stated that he was a sexual predator. This is what Ronan Farrow's reporting says. And amongst many other people are in this book and he constantly, I noticed him in the interview constantly talking about the women versus these um, predators. I was trying to find the best word, but predators, they were predators, Mm -hmm. which I found really beautiful. He kept emphasizing how important it was and how hard it was for them to say something, Mm -hmm. but they felt like something was wrong. So all these men and all these people, not just men, all these systems were telling them we know you said this thing happened, but it didn't happen or it wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. So if you put it on a transcript, if you, I don't know, try to logically talk about it, logically in air quotes, you could say, oh, well, you because know. logic is the language of yeah, the masculine. Exactly, <laughs> logic. So like if you had a transcript of what happened in a meeting between an NBC executive and one of the accusers, the accusers would come out looking inconsistent, Mm -hmm. right? A transcript. But there is enough information in there to suggest, more than suggest, that these women were preyed upon. And so what these women did was rely on their feelings. Mm -hmm. They went back to the feeling. I don't feel that it was right. I know you're saying it wasn't that bad, but I know that it wasn't good. And enough women started looking within themselves instead of looking towards Mm -hmm. these people that were employing them, these men that were in positions of power. And thankfully, because all these men are being unmasked now, I think women are seeing that they're not so powerful and that when they look within themselves, their feelings are even more powerful than the people Mm -hmm. that are are oppressing them. Mm -hmm. So I saw it as this beautiful example of women embracing what we're talking about the light Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like bring it out and bringing it forth and uh i love the idea of this feeling like an evacuation right or like these antibodies coming to fight Mm -hmm. (laughs) this disease that Mm -hmm. has now festered and festered Mm -hmm. and festered um and do you feel like are you noticing now um Actually, this kind of connects to um, the Sephora thing because things get trendy, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, witchcraft, because now it becomes more easily accessible to people. It may seem trendy. 
Do you like the idea that more people are interested in it? I guess you kind of said that before. Or does do you f- feel any sort of protectiveness over it now that more people are becoming interested in doing this type of work? Um, I, I don't feel protective in a way. Like, I think to me that the fact that it's planting this seed, the fact, like, I would rather have a woman look to the media and see an image of like another empowered woman and be like, oh my God, that's so badass. I want to be like that. And there might be, you know, a period where she, you know, you just, your introduction is like, you might just start, you might like go to Sephora and buy a witch kit, which like Mm. is problematic in itself. But I also think that people need room to learn and grow and that you can't just immediately vilify, you know, like I think that that's part of the education that, I'm sure everyone who went out and like bought one of those kits hopefully in a few years from now will look back and be like oh my gosh now I understand like why that was problematic but I'm so glad that that opened a door for me Mm. and you know it's the same way that we might you know like that we judge other feminists when we're all we're all on this path to learn and to grow and we become so attached to our opinions and our egos that we forget that like like everything I know in this moment in 10 minutes I could be like oh that was totally wrong and if I'm so attached to what I think I know then I'm never going to be able to say I know nothing at all and see what else is coming next yes I love that (laughs) oh my god that's so wise go on sorry and and I think also in particular um like it's it's so a lot of the work that I do is I'm also studying the you know the link between um disease and physical illness in our body and spiritual disease and so I myself I Um, you know I deal with chronic illness and disability myself it's you know a big part of my daily life and experience of moving through the world and what's really interesting is this past year I was dealing with um, you know a really bad viral infection and in learning how to heal from that it's really hard because you start to realize that when the virus is inside of you and you can't get rid of that virus how do you heal how can you allow yourself to move through that and it really made me take a long look at the state of the world and society right now and to me I see things like you know patriarchy and violence and capitalism and all of these forms of oppression to me they're I can almost picture them as a virus in society and if you want to if we want to achieve a state of healing how do we do that while these viruses are still present? And the way that you do that is by boosting your immune system. And the goal is ultimately to make that virus go dormant because you stop feeding into it. Mm. And so when I, when, you know, the example that you just talked about and what I see happening now with, you know, I'm also a survivor of domestic violence and gender-based violence. And in my healing from that and in connecting to other women and, you know, other trans and non-binary folks and, you know, men experience sexual violence as well, but in particular, it's it's like rampant towards women and it's because of the patriarchy that that happens but when we start to realize that we don't actually need the approval of a broken system to validate our experiences that our feelings are actually the most important thing that matters that's when healing happens Mm -hmm. because like it's the system is completely broken the system the court system the you know like any woman that goes through that they they use things like logic and reason and transcripts and they try to catch you in your retelling of the story and you think about it like you experience a a, 
a traumatic or violent event, you go to a police station, you sit down, and they try to get your story out of you as many times, but who is sitting in that room asking you questions? It's probably some male police officer that's never had any experience with these things. He's asking you traumatizing questions about like the specific details of your physical assault and what were you wearing? And they start to plant this narrative in your head that somehow it was your fault. Mm -hmm. And imagine if you were to sit in that room and have someone say to you, how were you feeling? Like, what, like, so there's one example that I learned in a workshop recently, and this is something that and tri- severe, extreme trigger warning for like graphic descriptions of sexual and violent acts. And when you think about sexual violence, like there's no <laughs> like it's not sexual because for something to be sexual implies that there's consent involved. Mm-hmm. And when there's no consent involved, it's just violence. It's just an act of power. So this is an example that feel free to cut this out if it's too intense oh no but so you know a case of a woman who there's a case of a woman who was attacked by say okay just for the sake of the example a woman that's been attacked by two or three men and you know after being in a room and being attacked by them and them having their way with her she sort of like starts to come to and sees them sort of talking about wanting to enter her in a different way and so her reaction to that is to sort of turn around, go to those men and to perform like fellatio on them. And what she does in that is that she finishes, like the men are able to finish. And then once they're done, they leave her alone and they leave. And so when you're sitting in a courtroom, the court is going to look at that and be like, well, how can you say that you didn't want it if you willingly performed oral sex on these men? But what that actually is, is an extreme act of resistance because this woman knows that if she doesn't do that, the men are going to attack her and have their way with her in a way that's going to leave her like way more damaged. And so we learn to hear these stories and it's told through this lens of like, oh, this woman must have wanted it when actually that was an act of resistance. And so to me, I also, part of my practice is in, like through narrative practice and I've, I've, you know, trained in narrative therapy and a lot of what you're doing is recognizing that you are not the problem, the problem is the problem. You are not broken, the system is broken. Mm. And so what is the story, the dominant storyline that's being told? And the dominant storyline throughout history is that women who are assaulted somehow want it, that somehow they deserve it because of the way that they were dressed or that because they didn't explicitly say no that it wasn't a no that maybe it would have been a yes and so i think that the fact that especially since the me too movement we're starting to talk about these things we're starting to you know like women are starting to talk to each other they're starting to share their stories they're starting to speak out loud we're gathering we're gathering in like a room like this right now we're gathering in covens we're gathering in support circles and we're sharing our stories with each other and every time we share our story in a way that is heard and witnessed and validated we realize that our story is our truth Mm -hmm. and so it almost becomes less important to have that validation like there's so many cases that go through the criminal justice system that just wind up re-traumatizing the victim and confusing them. And justice is rarely actually served. It's there oftentimes the justice that's served is just maintaining the status quo and protecting, um, you know, the man that was the one that did the assault to begin with, because like, you know, he, he, goddess forbid he lose his career or he suffers some consequences because of his job and that's that's toxic masculinity that's the like it's these viruses that we're trying to fight and so when I 
you know, in my own healing and when I see other women starting to reclaim their stories and tell their stories and share them, there's so much power in that because when we start to use our voice, when you use your voice, you connect you connect to the energy of the goddess and other women start to hear that and other women start to realize, oh, I have a similar story and no one's ever said it in that way. And they start to, you experience this confirmation and this validation that lets you share your story. And I think that that's the most crucial part of the Me Too movement. And that's why so many men feel threatened by it because I don't know if it's even something that they're realizing consciously or unconsciously, but they're losing their power every time women reclaim ours. And so a big realization that I had in my own, you know, journey and practice is that like I spent so much work in the violence against women sector trying to, you know, work with survivors and to also try to, I was fighting the patriarchy and I was trying to um, fight violence against women. And there was, you know, and I was getting so burnt out in the process. And I realized that I had never actually, actually taken the time to tend to my needs, the needs of my soul, of my healing, of being able to take a break and process my own trauma. And when I started to do that, I realized that I was actually, you know, you put, you put like violence on the right side of a paradigm. And then on the other side of that paradigm, you're fighting that violence. But what you're doing is you're just matching the vibration of that violence and you're still participating in that paradigm. Mm -hmm. What I want to see is a world where we start to imagine the world that we want to live in and we start to create it without waiting for permission from the oppressor to do it. Mm -hmm. You're never going to tear down the oppressor's house using his tools. So we have to think of new ways and new tools. And those tools are our feelings, our emotions, our dreams, our stories, our words. And the more that we the more that we share that and put that energy out into the world, the less this virus of the patriarchy and violence can actually thrive. So what you're doing is you're essentially like, you're suffocating it. And so the more that we become stronger and it, you know, that again, the story you just told of the women that they started to like, when you start to no longer need that validation from the external world and you know your truth and you're able to speak it, what someone else says to you doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. And so you no longer need to wait for permission for some judge to say, oh, you were assaulted. You're just like, I know that I was assaulted. And how am I now going to heal? And how am I going to move forward? And how am I going to change my reality and help change the reality of others? And again, when you're in that place, it's not your responsibility to do that. It's This is a collective thing that we all need to be working on. But you, you, just, you just reach a point where you are actually able to resist that because you no longer need um, someone else to confirm your experience for you. Wow. I want to say that tears have been coming to my eyes for like the past 10 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) And it really hit me actually quite this huge wave of emotion a while ago when you said, you know, an example like Trump is reflecting back Mm -hmm. to us the things that we feel inside. And somehow that went like straight to my eyes in the form of tears. (laughs) Um, But I wanted to ask you your thoughts about the collective consciousness Mm -hmm. and the individual. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of people, when they look at the world right now, probably get overwhelmed and think, how can I make a difference? And I believe, and also based on what you've been saying that when we raise our own vibration Mm -hmm. and work on ourselves and healing ourselves we are 
also raising the vibration of the collective consciousness. Um, And I would like to hear your thoughts about that. Yes, I absolutely agree with that. And I think another thing that's important, and this is another way that like spirituality or witchcraft can maybe be inaccessible to people that um, in the new age community, there's, there's a lot of victim blaming that happens. And there's a lot of this sort of twisted version of that level of truth. And also there's a term that you might not be familiar with called spiritual bypassing. Spiritual bypassing happens when you, um, when, you know, like you see it in a lot of new age communities where people will be like, I'm a light worker. I'm working with the light and I'm healing and I'm, I'm healing the world and I'm raising my vibration, but they haven't actually gone into the shadow and done that shadow work. Mm. And if you aren't grounding yourself and actually facing your subconscious and going into your shadow and the trauma that exists in the collective unconscious, um, that's, that's the shadow. That's the work that we need to be doing both individually and collectively. It's sort of like, okay, if you look at it in terms of, um, so we have a physical body and then we also have an energy body or a luminous body. And you might be familiar with like our chakra system. So we typically talk about, you know, seven or 12 of the main chakras. Our body, um, our energy bodies actually contain hundreds of different chakras. But the main ones are, for example, your root, your sacral. So do you, would it be helpful if I yes, go through this? Totally. Okay. Yeah. So your root chakra, it sort of exists, um, kind of below the base of your spine and the root chakra is your sense of stability and security and home and how and like where you ground yourself and so and while I'm talking about this I'll also mention um this idea of kundalini energy I don't know if you're familiar with that so so yeah so kundalini (laughs) energy is something a lot of like what I love working with and working with people um who are you know there's this also this idea in the new age community of like oh i'm gonna like raise my kundalini energy and i'm gonna like do all these yoga practices and i think that might be a way of doing it but sometimes people have it backwards where you think like oh if i go vegan and i stop drinking and i purify my body i'll achieve a higher state of consciousness Mm. but what actually happens is when your consciousness starts to raise vibrationally you no longer actually crave those things that you used to use things like drugs and alcohol and um with your kundalini energy what happens is when your kundalini energy starts to rise your kundalini it's known as a serpent fire energy so it's your natural sexual life force energy we all have it it's sort of sitting at in the base of our spine in a coil and when our when we start to go through spiritual awakening what happens is this serpent slowly starts to rise up our spine and it starts to work through each of our chakras and if we have Um, trauma that exists in those areas that we haven't worked through or that are blocked the energy is sort of going to like blast through it and so what can often happen to people is like kundalini syndrome where you start to you know achieve these high elevated states of consciousness but if you aren't changing your immediate reality around you and making tangible changes in your life there's no way to actually support this intense energy that's coming through so the danger with a lot of people who are like doing all these like breathwork and kundalini practices is that if you prematurely raise this energy before you're actually ready for a spiritual awakening, it can be really damaging. It can be really like, it can cause a lot of, you know, like psychotic, um, like psychosis or people Mm -hmm. might start to have a psychiatric emergency because of it. And that's, that's another big thing as well that. Yeah. I've read about um, in the body, the liberating current and then the manifesting current and how it's important to balance them. Mm-hmm. Meaning um, we think from like the base chakra, like from low to high up to the crown mm-hmm. and beyond. 
somehow that's like the favored <laughs> the favored route to move from bottom to top to get more spiritual yeah. or more like bodiless as you move up but then there's this other current in the body the manifesting current which moves from the top to the bottom which says okay you're reaching these states of consciousness but you have to put that energy back into the physical yeah. earth which i mm -hmm. think i'm just <laughs> inserting this here <laughs> yeah. like you have to and I, that's what i thought of when you talked about like make the physical changes in your life it's you know a lot of artists listen to our podcast and mm -hmm. it's like you can have so many ideas mm -hmm. but if you're not manifesting them into reality using your tools and making building them in this world they sort of rot up there yeah and they cause depression mm -hmm when you're not actually making the change or seeing that work exist in the world where you currently live in your carbon-based body. Yes. So anyway, continue yeah. please. No, <laughs> I, I love that. And thank you for sharing. And that's <laughs> sort of like, like what I was mentioning about this process of spiritual bypassing, it's this idea that when our Kundalini energy starts to rise, we're just going to keep going up and up and up and up. And we're just going to keep elevating ourselves. But if you aren't also grounding yourself at the same time, if the energy isn't going down at the same time as up, and also it's this misconception that this energy will start at the bottom and go up through all of our chakras, but our, our chakras are connected. And so if you're dealing with trauma in one area, you might jump up from your like your root to your throat chakra, and then you start to use your voice and then your throat is and I'll go through all of them in a second too, is connected to your sacral. And so you actually, it's not like a linear process. And when you're bypassing, it means that you're, you're like experiencing all, you know, you're like doing all this work to open your third eye and you're experiencing all of this, like you're connecting to spirit. But if you're not grounded while you're doing it, you're bypassing the lower chakras and you're not actually, um, like to me, that's, like we're here, like we're spiritual beings here to have a human experience. And it can become really easy and tempting to, especially if you've suffered from trauma, to just dissociate from your physical body and to go into your head. Speaking about the Me Too movement and survivors of sexual trauma, that, so after your root chakra basically is your sacral chakra. And your sacral is where collectively, especially as women, we store the most trauma, the most intergenerational trauma, if you've ever experienced sexual violence, you, that's that's where you're going to be holding all of that pain and all of that tension. And unless we release that, it's it's going to be very hard for us to actually ascend. And it's it's hard because that's like a really, it's a hard place to do that work. And the process of like an alchemical transformation or moving, dark, like you're trying to transmute that darkness into light. And so a lot of healing means also trying to, you know, like to me, I just always come back to storytelling. When you retell your story, when you are able to look back on your trauma and think, oh, this, this like awful thing happened to me and it took my power away. And that's the story that you keep telling yourself because, you know, say you've been through a court system where that's a story that keeps getting fed to you. But when you start to connect to these small acts of resistance that you did in a, in those moments, you can start to build on that preferred story and you can start to really connect to your own internal power. And that's how you start to heal because you start to treat yourself differently. You start to, and then when you are able to develop that sense of loving kindness towards yourself, you can look at others and you can feel that compassion and empathy for them as well. And so, okay, to get back. So, <laughs> so we've gone through the sacral and then, and I think especially right now as, as you know, 
people who are womb carriers, that is where we have the most collective unhealed trauma right now and the suppression of the feminine and intergenerational trauma that we're dealing with. We carry that in our womb and it's, you know, and you don't have to have a womb to carry this trauma as well. It's just in that sacral area that a lot of us are holding on to this. And so a lot of practices of like clearing and releasing and doing somatic work and like breath work and slowing down your breathing and your nervous system. And like, as I'm saying that, can we take a moment? Maybe just oh breathe. My God, yeah. <laughs> okay. Mm. That's yeah. nice. I was feeling myself becoming a bit ungrounded and all that too. Yeah. <laughs> even just, even it's just simple as that. Just a moment to like stop and breathe and ground into your body and to feel like, I know for me, a big part of healing from my trauma was that I didn't feel safe at any point in the world and kind of grounding yourself and like rooting yourself and, and learning to feel that you are safe and held is, is so important so that we can actually continue to do that work. So mm -hmm. without further ado, the next chakra that we move <laughs> on to is your solar plexus. And that's sort I'm of interested in this one. I struggle with this one. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> we can do some work around that. After. <laughs> um, so it's your solar plexus and your solar plexus is sort of like in, in your rib cage and your solar plexus is your power center. And when your solar plexus is out of balance, it might be because you've been giving away your personal power. You've been letting other people tell you what to do. You haven't been able to stand up for yourself, especially as women. This is one of the biggest blockages that we carry because we aren't, we aren't like allowed to be empowered in a way that is genuine and authentic. And so this is, and you know, and I think also when we have these blockages, that means that like where you experience the most pain and suffering, you have the greatest potential for healing and light to come in. Whoa. <laughs> so these intense wounds that we're clearing are like that's part of our soul purpose so if you yeah. come here and your purpose in life is to experience like say your ex ex experience your purpose is to experience love then you'll likely be born into a family where you experience like neglect and you don't experience love and you learn all about what it feels like to not be loved and so many of us get stuck there but where the work lies is once you realize that and you recognize it and you stop internalizing that because so much of our trauma comes from like when we're kids and we do something wrong or bad and then we're you know our parents chastise us for it we don't know the difference between I did something bad and I'm bad. Mm -hmm. So this voice starts to, you know, plants in our head of like, oh, I'm bad. I can't do anything right. There's something wrong with me. Like I can't, you know, you, you think that it's your fault. And when you start to kind of like heal from that and remove that voice, that's when you can really, you can really connect to, wow, I, I have not had enough love in my life. And you start to question like, I wonder what love is. And then your soul goes, I want to feel what it's like to experience love. And when you are opening your, when you're able to open your heart, that's the way of the feminine. The feminine is to be in a constant state of receiving. So the masculine is a force of action and you're doing and you're going out there and you're trying to like, push your way through and make something happen. And when you're existing in a state of the feminine, it's a softer approach and you're, you're just like, it's like you sit there with your arms and your heart open, ready to receive. But we have to first learn that we are worthy of receiving before we can actually receive these things that come to us. Mm. So, and that the heart. So the, the fourth chakra, the next one is your heart chakra. And some people might say that there's the heart chakra and then there's a higher heart chakra. And the higher heart is where you experience feelings of love and romance and connection. And 
the the lower chakra is sort of um it's the connection between your physical body and the spirit realm between heaven and earth it's the connection between the upper and the lower chakras so they're always in constant communication through that and when your heart is open that's when that what you described that energy of going up and down can actually happen and so from the heart you move up and then that's your throat chakra and the throat chakra is also for many women is incredibly blocked yeah it was. <laughs> we're all raising your hands yeah. um that's been the biggest one that I've been working through myself. And part of my healing and my reclamation has actually been like learning to use my voice again and to speak my truth. Like me sitting here right now saying this is part of my own healing as well. And mm. hopefully someone out there is hearing this and it's healing something in them. And I think us even like having this podcast is yeah, part for of sure. our healing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, a big part of, you know, what I've been experiencing is like, um, starting to sing again and starting to you know I spent many years sharing the stories of other women and other survivors and it was it was making me ill because I had my own story to tell and I had my own voice to use Mm -hmm. and I think that that's I think that when we use our voice it's the most powerful thing we can do I really believe that our spiritual work is learning how to be learning to discover who we are and to be more of it. Mm -hmm. And when you use your voice, that's like, we're all just channels. And so you choose the energy that you're channeling in and that you're channeling out into the world. And your, your voice is the way that you project that into the world. And so like for myself, a lot of my physical illness I know has manifested because I wasn't using my voice. Like I've been dealing with all these throat issues this past year and like illness and constantly getting throat infections. And I, I'm constantly getting this message from spirit that's like you need to use your voice because it's making you physically ill to suppress it mm-hmm. so from there you move up and now we're up moving up into the higher chakra so your third eye so it's sort of like um at eye or brow level in between your eyes so a lot of people will say that where consciousness comes from and where a soul resides is within the pineal gland so the pineal gland is we sort of have like, you know, our brains are split into our left brain and our right brain. And the pineal gland is the part of our brain that produces, um, it's how we, so you could say it's where we produce our consciousness from. It's the part of our brain that produces melatonin and serotonin, regulates our sleeping and our waking cycle. It's also the part of our brain that produces DMT, which is known as the spirit molecule, which is also um, a psychedelic that some people like to use to raise their consciousness and also happens to naturally be produced in our brain as well as plants. Mm. It's actually the only like the only drug that actually is found that exists in our bodies. Um, and so past that you move up to the seventh or the final of the seven chakras, which is your crown chakra. And the crown really represents your higher self. And so the third eye is like your intuition and that's sort of the realm of like the, sh- the shadow and the unconscious and the dream, mm-hmm. the dream body that we work with. And then the crown chakra is our connection to spirit. And so ultimately when, when you're having a Kundalini experience, what you're trying to achieve is, is this energy moving up and then grounding itself. And so you're going from the root to the crown and back. And what you then have is you have this open channel. And I also think like, I really think that we're in a state right now where the earth the earth is like crying out for us to save her and Mm -hmm. the earth is suffering right now and it's it's very much closely tied to what we're seeing happen to a lot of women and marginalized folks on the planet right now and when the earth is sort of like the earth wants to absorb our pain for us the earth doesn't want to suffer but when we when we do the spiritual work and we 
experience this awakening or this raising of our consciousness and our vibration, we have to pull that energy back down and ground and root ourselves into the earth. And that's, we feed the earth when we do that. Mm -hmm. When we're able to go up to spirit and we're able to bring that back through our physical bodies and ground it into the earth, that's how the earth heals. Wow. Um, Near the beginning of the interview, you mentioned um, the decolonization associated with witchcraft or you touched a bit about upon that um so perhaps you can speak a little bit more about that yes so um i think that it's important when we are doing this work to acknowledge the lands that we're doing this work on the people who are the keepers of this land that have been here well before us um and to identify like our privilege in doing this work and i think part of that is just being aware of the practices and the rituals and the teachings so For example, I'm just going to say if you're a white woman that's a practicing witch, you don't have a spirit animal. (laughs) It's, uh, Mm. you know, that that, that these teachings are, are not for all of us to take and to be aware of the tools and the materials. So, for example... Um, white sage is becoming endangered now and it's something that is such a sacred tool to indigenous peoples and that it's not like we don't it's it's not within all of our cultural practices to practice smudging to realize that there are like other plants that we can use other than sage and Mm -hmm. palo santo that look for things that are local so some examples of this might be lavender rosemary mugwort bay leaves uh, rose petals, um, cedar, these are all really great things that we can access, that we can use and feel good about. Um, and then also like working with crystals, that there's a lot of um, practices that are not ethical in the mining of crystals. And when you're part, to me, part of being a witch means being aware of your connection to the land and the materials that you're using so do some research just like if you're buying crystals put in a bit of work to get ethically sourced crystals or you know lab-grown crystals they're sure they might not be like quote-unquote natural but at the end of the day you're getting something that hasn't you know crystals crystals um absorb and hold energy and so if the energy that's going into the mining of these crystals is like very like unethical and harming others then that's that's like you're already setting yourself up like that's the state of the tools that you're working with so and another thing is just um and you know i i see this a lot in communities in like tantric practice and in appropriation of a lot of indigenous and native american practices that the best place we can go to to develop our own practice is our own history and our own ancestry i think that why witchcraft is also so appealing to people right now is that so many of us that are here on this land um didn't originate from here and we've become disconnected from our own ancestry and so i think that and i think it's a beautiful thing i think we're just we're desperate for some sort of connection and culture and it's really easy to to like you know resonate with something and then to take that but that's that's just another form of colonization Mm -hmm. so for me my background is eastern european and jewish so i've started you know exploring more of reconnecting to judaism in a more feminist land-based way i'm really invested in studying the kabbalah and jewish mysticism 
and finding ways to incorporate those practices into my own rituals so that I know and I feel good about it's also healing for me and I feel like I'm healing a lot of intergenerational trauma this way so just if you can and not all of us have the privilege of like connecting to our roots or knowing where we come from but even if you know a little bit about where your family might be from just like look just do research just look into what those practices are find others in the community and like host a host a circle with them and celebrate a holiday mm. that was great that's really great can you talk a bit about your practice mystic sister so i'm um currently i spent the last year training to be a spiritual director i will come back to that specific question mm -hmm. but kind of tying it back into like what my own practice of like witchcraft okay yeah is as well is that um realizing that we're constantly planting seeds and sometimes we forget like the work of the darkness and the unconscious is that we plant a seed and we don't we don't see it manifest right away mm. and sometimes we can it's really hard and we want to give up because we feel like we have all these intentions and these amazing things that we want to do but we live in a world that has taught us that like oh if i want something i can get it right away mm -hmm. i can like go online and go on ebay or amazon and i'm going to order something and it's going to be on my door tomorrow and we've lost our connection to nature which is when we have an idea or or something or our sole purpose we start to plant these seeds and you have to tend to those seeds you have to sort of be aware of what you're feeding yourself the quality of the water you're watering it with the, building a fence around your garden making sure that no one else is coming in and trampling on it and when you are doing that work then it starts to sprout and it takes a while before those things actually bloom and manifest like that's that's been an important part of my journey is realizing that sometimes i get really frustrated or i feel like oh why do things just take so long to like manifest in this reality and then i'm like well that's part of the lesson is you're learning about the process of manifestation as well mm. so to come back to that um basically um kind of starting my own healing practice as a space for me a way for me to hold space for others as a way for me to use my gifts and my voice so my practice is called mystic sister so a lot of it is about um you know connecting to the goddess and sisterhood and hosting circles and again also any event that i do um i believe in sisterhood but to me that means sisterhood goes beyond just like a cis version of a right um, yeah you know yeah. so sisterhood to me it, it's about inclusivity and openness in a safe space for for women and um you know and i've had i've had cis men come to my circles as well and it's really important in healing but also having spaces where men maybe sit out and allow us to do our work is really important as well and so I'm sort of just building my own healing practice as well I'm studying a lot of sound healing and voice healing so I've done um, sound reiki training I'm actually these amazing women have the sound reiki institute I'll put in a plug for them and they're in the pro I'm helping them in the process of creating their first online training and it's about training you to use the vibration of your voice for healing um so it's a form of reiki wow and so I can send you the yes. link to that as well. <laughs> and um, so that's sort of a part of my practice. So it's sort of, um, yeah, just like a blend of all the work that I do, the narrative therapy practice and counseling that I do. So as a spiritual director, your, your role is to kind of walk the path of spirit with someone and to guide them along their spiritual journey. And that looks different for everyone. So 
yeah, ultimately the work that I that I want to do is trauma-informed spiritual work, holding space for people that are, you know, along their own spiritual journey. And I think a lot of people, well, oftentimes when we're experiencing an emergence of spirit, it gets mislabeled as um, a psychotic emergency. I think that um, the way that the system works is when we start to have these experiences, you know, we might turn to someone within the system or we might go to a psychiatrist or a therapist and then we get labeled as having something or we get pathologized and then we get put into the system and you, you know, like my practice is very much about resisting that institutionalized harm that so many of us have already experienced. Mm -hmm. So especially for other women and marginalized folks like myself that have gone through maybe the criminal justice system or for folks that have been incarcerated or gone through like, like the healthcare system or the mental healthcare system. There's so much trauma and violence that you experience within that institutionally that I really want to create a safe space to work with people in a spiritual way that is, that is breaking outside of that. So I really focus on not trying to diagnose or pathologize someone, but just to look at the process of what's happening. So doing a lot of, you know, dream body work and somatic experiencing and, and like I work with a lot of tools. So I'll read, you know, I'll use tarot cards or oracle cards. And my, my practice is I don't, I'm not a healer. I'm a healing facilitator. And so I really strongly believe that we all have the capacity to heal ourselves, but we need some guidance along the way. Mm -hmm. And so the, the like, sacredness and privilege of holding that space for other people is also a part of my healing so being able to use my experience and my knowledge to um just hold space for someone and and like have someone come to me that's maybe having an intense spiritual emergence or they're experiencing an intense kundalini awakening and they feel like they're going crazy if that's an okay word, word to use but you can feel like you're going crazy in in the society that we live in and there need to be safe spaces and people to talk to that can just validate like I've kind of heard it all and I've seen it all and I've experienced <laughs> almost all well, you know there's still there's still so much more but um nothing really shocks me so I think that that when I when I'm able to work with others just offering a place of like non-judgment and a safe space for them to be able to explore like what's actually happening and to retell that story it's sort of like looking back on the events of your life and thinking like what was actually going on here and what was happening and is this you're sort of realizing that the voice of spirit has been there with you all along and then you're able to connect to that more deeply and whatever that looks like for you. Halloween is coming up and obviously that's one of the great symbols of witchcraft traditionally in um, the way people I think the average everyday person would see it and I'm curious to hear your thoughts about the way you practice witchcraft and how Halloween is referenced to it. Yeah so Halloween or Samhain is uh, it's the witch's new year so Halloween is said to be you know and it's a pagan holiday so Halloween is said to be, um, it's a midpoint between summer and winter. It's the time, it's also said it's the time when the veil 
between worlds is the thinnest. Mm. So it's a really great time for connecting to our ancestors, to those who have passed, of really diving deep into the realm of the feminine and the shadow and our intuition. So it's said that Halloween marks the end of the goddess's reign and the return of the Lord of the Underworld, who will then guide and protect us through the dark months of the winter. So I think that, and again, this references back to like, Anana's descent into the underworld and also that that's also closely tied to so my my favorite kind of like story in mythology is the story of Lilith which yeah. I wanted to mention because ah, Lilith, Lilith. Yeah. <laughs> it just feels yes. so for those who aren't familiar Lilith is the story of the first woman who um you know it said that God created um before there was Eve, there was Lilith. So God created Lilith and Adam from the dirt. So they were made from the same thing from the ground. And so they lived in the Garden of Eden. And then um, Adam wanted Lilith to submit to him. So the story is that Adam wanted Lilith to lie beneath him. And Lilith said, no, we're created equal. So I refuse to lie beneath you. And so she wound up fleeing the Garden of Eden. And then, um, so basically, basically Lilith refused to submit to Adam. So God sent these angels or demons after Lilith and tried to get her to come back. But, but, but he said, invite her to come back, but she also doesn't have to. And so she refused to come back. So as punishment, God said that I'm going to murder a hundred of your children, a hundred of your babies every day. So Lilith is demonized. She's seen as this demon woman that in mythology comes in and like steals your baby at night and is someone that everyone needs to be feared. So there's so many different cultural representations of Lilith throughout time and she's always portrayed as just like this awful demon woman and so when Lilith refused to come back to the Garden of Eden that was when God created Eve and so it's said that God was created from or sorry God created Eve from Adam's rib so that she was lesser than him Mm -hmm. and then Uh. you know when Lilith um so when Eve ate the apple in the Garden of Eden, Lilith came back, appeared as a serpent, and then presented the apple to Eve. And to me, I think about that a lot, thinking about this earlier today. Like, imagine if the story we told of why we were kicked out of the Garden of Eden was because Adam tried to rape Eve and not because Eve ate a forbidden apple. Mm. <laughs> and it was that sisterhood that Lilith came back yeah. to, to, like, awaken Eve and tell her kind of like tell her what's going on and the interesting thing about Eve is the place that she then went to exist she also then went to live in the place that is told when the messiah comes you know everyone is then brought to this other like kind of heaven heaven place so it's also this idea that Lilith was the the sin was that Lilith became aware of her own oppression and refused to submit and that Lilith was this wild sexual woman and to me i think it says so much about the patriarchy and the world that we live in that the story that we're told that that the idea of a woman that is sexually liberated is so feared that man you know literally had to create the story of eve to present a more palatable version of a woman that is like willing to submit to to adam and do whatever he says and so i think that lilith is coming back and every time we stand up for ourselves she is able to come through a little bit more and then one final thing this is actually my favorite fact coming back yeah wait (laughs) i want to give one little introduction i want to shout out to the character lilith stern on (laughs) fraser and cheers so uh, i don't know if anyone watches tv as much as i do but there are these two uh seminal sitcoms cheers and 
Frasier, which is a spinoff. Mm-hmm. And there's a character named Frasier Crane who exists in both worlds, so in Cheers. And uh, he's a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's pining after this um, bartender named Diane, um, but he doesn't end up with her. But he marries a woman named Lilith Sternin. And Lilith is portrayed as being very icy very harsh very direct but incredibly smart and witty and it's constantly reinforced that um she is his match but what's also interesting is they get married but then divorced Hmm. so in fraser uh the spin-off of cheers uh fraser is now divorced and lilith is some shadowy figure that appears from time to time as the seasons go on and she always appears as someone who's bringing all of these dark forces along with her there's a lot of jokes about her like when Mm -hmm. she enters the room people get headaches and Mm -hmm. a lot of kind of hilarious farcical things but what's interesting about lilith is she's a bit of a truth bringer like she appears when Fraser is going through some kind of upheaval and she's kind of this interesting cipher and it's as if um, he still needs her and respects her a lot but there's no way that they can be together yeah. because he can't handle how powerful she is yeah. so the a writer popular reference the writer of Fraser knows what's up <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and that's I think that's what it is too connecting you know connecting to the feminine it's like to me, the archetype of the wild woman, the wild, mm-hmm. sexual, empowered, uninhibited woman that is not afraid of her own power, that is not afraid of men being afraid of her power. It's, you know, that I don't think we need permission to exist in this world. Mm-hmm. And for so long, we've been taught that we need to ask for it, that we need to be silent. And to me, it's just like, no, go take up space, use your voice, use, like, share your story. Like, go yell from the rooftops. There's so many, you know, and, and like these stories like are so accessible, especially now more than ever. So one, one story people could read is like um, Women Who Run With The Wolves, mm-hmm. which is an amazing um, book of different folklore and tales that are told of the wild woman, of this woman like Lilith who would not be suppressed. Mm-hmm. And I think that the more we start to see these figures in... And, you know, like the fact that that there was a literally Lilith, Lilith was a character on Frasier is a sign that like like that then becomes planted in the collective consciousness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then people start to see that and think, oh, I could be I could be that woman, too. Or I see that woman in me and it's OK to be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, one more. So this is my fa- actually my favorite Halloween fact that I love sharing every year. <laughs> so um, so this stereotype or the image of a witch riding a broomstick um, I don't know if you guys know where that comes from. No, I don't. Okay, yeah. so the origin of this is that back back in history, centuries ago, um, there were women that, I think it initially came from like ergot of rye, so when rye bread would sort of like mold, it would change and like grow this fungus that then had psychoactive properties. And so what happened was like if you, if you consumed or like um, – came in contact with the substance you would go into kind of like a psychedelic hallucinogenic state and so once uh like women and witches started to realize what was up they started to realize that like they tried to play around with different ways that you can um actually like ingest this and achieve this hallucinatory state and so they realized that it's absorbed through the skin so 
they would use their broomsticks. So what they would do is they would find all of these different plants um, and like plant medicine and psychoactive plants have been used throughout the beginning of time. There's actually a ton of reading into like stories from the Bible and even in the Torah of like Moses and the burning bush, that the bush is actually uh, a bush that contained DMT and that Jesus was actually like... taken some mushrooms and so a lot of like these stories we hear of these religious like the rapture and all these things that happen were actually just like really intense trip reports that's basically what the bible is it's just a trip report but so anyways the women would like anoint these the ends of their broomsticks with these psychoactive plants or this rye and then they would ride the broomsticks and they would literally fly into another dimension so this image that we see of witches and like in in um in like pagan tradition the broom itself so the broom represents the handle would be like the the phallus would be kind of like the phallus of the masculine and then the bristles of the brush represent the feminine and they would often use brooms and like wedding ceremonies and and rituals and so it's just my favorite image that it's like such a common thing that we see in like the media and everything of a of a witch riding a broomstick but but they were just like they were just flying high on something else. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for this conversation and being on our show. It was amazing. Thank you so much. I'm very happy. There you have it, folks. Our conversation with Liz Leia. And a beautiful one at that. If you would like to connect with her, her healing practice is called Mystic Sister Healing Arts, and uh, you can connect with her online as well. Her Instagram is High Femme Priestess at High Femme Priestess on Instagram. Um, we had such a great time talking to her. Tara will be back with me next week. We have a very exciting interview to share with you next week as well. As usual, please tell your friends about our show. Give us a like and a comment on iTunes or wherever you listen. Hype us up. It helps people to find our show. And happy Halloween, everybody. Enjoy that moment when the veil is at its 